0: by buying these buildings and improving them and just making a safer neighborhood to live you know building by building i I do see the tangible effects of my money you know going into these local areas and quite frankly i have more of a connection to patterson than i do dallas you know i've never been to dallas i think except for a layover on a flight okay you know i'm not really trying to improve dallas i want to improve jersey you know Welcome to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show, the program that shines a spotlight on positive real estate development and neighborhood revitalization in the city of brotherly love. Coming to you live from the G-Town Radio Studio on Maplewood Mall in Germantown. Here's your host, Alina DeLisser.
1: Hello, 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 and welcome to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show. So today we're going to change things up a bit and talk with an investor who doesn't have a direct connection to Philadelphia, but he does a lot of investing in densely populated urban areas, and I think we can learn a lot from his experience. His name is Aaron Fragnito, and he is the co-founder of People's Capital Group in New Jersey. Aaron has completed over 250 real estate transactions, totaling more than $40 million in real estate over his 10-year career. Aaron started off as a real estate agent, but he soon caught the investing bug. And today, he and his partner uh, focus primarily on buying apartment buildings in North Jersey. So today, People's Capital Group works with qualified investors to create passive returns through commercial real estate. Aaron and his partner are experienced in locating discounted apartment buildings for sale in northern New Jersey and implementing a value-add strategy to create maximum returns for their silent investors. Welcome to the show, Aaron. Thank you. So glad to be here. So, Aaron, okay. Um, how does a guy who was a ski instructor <laughs> in Colorado <laughs> mm. wind up with a $10 million plus real estate portfolio?
0: Well, I was pretty good at skiing, but that wasn't the trick, unfortunately. Um, So I graduated from Rowan University in 2009 as an entrepreneur major and really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. It was a pretty terrible job market, as you recall, one of the worst job market in in, uh, generations. So um, you know, I remember my college advisor said, well, Enterprise Rent-A-Car is hiring, and you can get a job there, and then you can make $32,000 a year to start and work your way up, and maybe by the time you're 65, if you put enough away, you can retired i said well i'm an entrepreneur major i really want to be an entrepreneur and i had a small painting business in the past and a small landscaping business and i i didn't really know what i want to do with my life but i had read rich dad poor dad senior, here we go right? here we go uh-huh. yeah Everyone's- the book
1: the book that launched the. A- a million uh, real estate investors oh
0: my gosh right so and and, uh it's the bible (laughs) the bible right the purple bible there so yeah and basically uh that turned me on to my passion for real estate and i didn't know anything about it and i always you know my dad owned a condo i remember in like the three a 300 unit complex that we would go there and paint it between rollovers and and uh basically you know i i I said wow i want to own something like this one day as a kid i remember and uh You know, then I worked around real estate for years and then finally got found my passion for it. But, you know, out in Colorado, I I really realized, you know, I read uh, David Lendall books and Trump University and they made it look all so easy. You just go find a building, you put down a deposit, you call some friends, you raise some money, bada bing, bada boom, you're a millionaire, right? (laughs) And uh, so, not so easy, of course. But uh, you know, I, I read those books and just really educated myself. I never paid for a guru. I never paid thirty thousand dollars. I went on Amazon. I spent sixteen dollars, and you know, learned that way. And then came back to um, Jersey. I, I made a list. I said, okay, I, wanna own, I want to own a net worth of a million dollars in real estate with a passive cash flow of a hundred thousand in ten years. That was my goal about ten years ago and uh, wrote that down at the top of the list and then worked my way down. Okay, I need to learn the industry. I need to make connections. I need to make some money. I need to figure out how this business is done. And you know, so I realized oh, well, getting my real estate license is actually a great way to start making some money, learning how the transactions work and how the industry works and building a reputation in the industry as well. So Got my real estate license, uh, made $500 my first uh, six months as a realtor, you know, is a terrible market. You'd list a home, no one would call. You'd just be dropping and dropping the price, Oh man! you know, finally made $5,000. My broker gave me 500 of it and said, read the fine print. So I switched brokers. And I uh, learned, you know, you got to work with people that are working in your favor, not against you. And, um, you know, eventually I found a good home at Remax. I built a team there. I got a good team of agents going. And But I also structured the wrong way so that I paid all the agents desk fees. And then I had a split with them and hoped they would sell some houses. And they would be reading books about how to sell houses at, oh, you know, man. 2 o'clock on a Tuesday. I'd be like, but you actually have to pick up the phone to go get a <laughs> listing, you know. And they're like, no, I'm just going to keep educating myself on it because you're paying my desk fee." So... Uh, that didn't work out, so you know. But I, I met Seth Martinez through um, these challenges, and uh, he's my partner to today. And um, you know, he was he sold a medical billing company in New York around the time I was getting my real estate license and starting my real estate journey, and. Um, he uh, had a, a bunch of capital and he was putting into real estate and making really low ball offers. And no other realtors wanted to take his offers because they were okay.
1: mm-hmm. so
0: low. And realtors like, that's a waste of time. I was like, no, I love what this guy's doing. <laughs> He's like really getting great deals in this market. So I was learning from him as his realtor. And eventually, you know, we say, hey, we work really well together. We complement each other's strengths and weaknesses and... He was really good at management of the real estate and kind of analyzing the buildings and just fine-tuning the systems once you own them to get cash flow out of them, which mm-hmm. is really an art in itself, you know, right? And right. Science as well. And uh, you know, I was good at kind of finding the deals and pulling together capital and, and uh, public speaking and branding and fundraising. And um, so together, we just really uh, were great business uh, entrepreneurs together and, and built a nice business uh, up to about a hundred units over five years. Um and you know our first deal we got though was from a we buy houses sign on a on a telephone pole I used to staple up there with a super right, tie, right. <laughs>
1: but before before you and connected with Seth mm-hmm. you had you, let's take a little bit of, back back up a little bit a little sure. bit of a detour mm-hmm. you did have a very terrible learning experience oh, my I God. know one of the things that you pride yourself on is being mm-hmm. open and transparent mm-hmm. about um, the good things and the bad things
0: sure so. Mm-hmm. Tell
1: me about your first fix and flip.
0: Oh, well, you know, the first partner I took on, that was my biggest mistake. You know, I teamed up with someone who I just met at some networking event who had run a business coaching business, which was coaching people how to run successful businesses, and he filed bankruptcy. So... Ironic <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! So that's who and, I selected, and that wasn't
1: mean. the first warning sign that right. something might be. Oh
0: my gosh! You know, I was not like, on
1: the up and up with this guy. He
0: was like twenty three years old, really hungry. You know, just so you're starting in this industry. I had no money, no experience. I had five thousand dollars my grandpa gave me in bonds, and I was just desperate. I wanted to start flipping houses. I wanted to start you know i i kind of got off track of flipping houses i really should have focused on buying apartment buildings but that's where i started with flipping houses and you know i did go to my father for the first uh bit of cash and he was able to take out a home equity line of credit and put a lien against his property that he paid down the mortgage for so many years Took a lien out on his home. That's love. That's love. And he tells me to this day, he'll remind me every Thanksgiving. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you Are know. you an
1: only child? No, okay. no. I
0: have an older brother, okay. younger brother, younger sister. Yeah. So, um, no, but I mean, I, I've been always coming to my father with business schemes for years. So, um, he and he's always been trying to support me. But, you know, this one seemed like a good strategy. You know, people flip houses all the time and do quite well with it. And I think he wanted to get into flipping houses, you know, and he did actually. So, Uh, And we both knew at the time the partner I had had selected was the wrong partner. He had no capital, no credit. He was not willing to kind of, you know, partake in any way financially or, you know, when it was his job to do responsibilities and do them right. He got the wrong insurance. You know, we did everything wrong. We didn't get a septic inspection. You know, thank God the thing passed. We went to sell it, Uh, hire the wrong contractors, you know, then the basement flooded because the pipes burst because the home wasn't heated. And all you know the things that could go wrong did go wrong and i remember you know one contractor we hired he um had his subs install all the uh, new copper piping throughout the property complete new plumbing job throughout the property and then we paid the general contractor and he never paid his subs so his subs came back in the next week and took all the copper ripped it right out of the walls gutted the entire house of all the copper they installed in the boilers because the subs never got paid and he hired that those types of subs that would do that and then basically uh we were left with a gutted home and you know the gc never gave us the money back right he pocketed the money and ran off so
1: oh my god
0: yeah definitely a huge challenge so
1: everything that could go wrong did go wrong in that one.
0: Oh my gosh that flip it took a, like a year and a half and then the partner that i decided to team up with started stealing money from the account pretty quickly in like within like a couple months and he's te- stealing stealing <laughs> Money I'm like that didn't take long. Like it didn't even go awry yet. And he's already stealing money. So <laughs>
1: Oh my goodness. Um,
0: we quit claimed him off the deed as soon as we busted him. And he's like, Yep, yeah, I'm taking a little bit off the top. So what? I'm working hard here. Like, no, buddy. Like, what are you talking about? You got paid a commission for us to buy the home, first of all, which was complete BS, you know, and, and then he said, and then he's taken skimming off the top, admits to it, doesn't pay back the money. We're like, all right, you're out of here. So I just got rid of him. He only probably took like 1500 to 2000 bucks, but I just got rid of the guy. I said, get out of here. You're off the deed. You're off the everything. And he agreed, and he was like, yes, I'm a terrible business partner. Please uh, get me out of here so I don't owe your dad $200,000. So then I owed my dad $200,000, and he didn't. So you know, at that point, we did end up selling the home. Uh, we ended up finally hiring the right contractors. My, my father and I did kind of team up together on it and learn a lot through it. Um, you know, even the second contract we hired was was really not great, but he did a little better than the. At least he paid the subs, so they didn't gut the home. Wow, that was a good step. You know, um, progress. So, yeah, we only lost seven thousand dollars. I all of a sudden it was done. That, that was
1: that was it. That's it. Okay, you
0: know, so the market kind of went up. We had a nice product finally at the end of the day. Two years later, we did sell it. And, okay, you know, as a realtor, so I got top dollar for that sucker. So
1: even though you got burned with that that first fix and flip, you were still you still had the bug. You still wanted to do. You knew that. You, there was a right way to do it, and you wanted to proceed with it. And so then you hooked up with, with Seth,
0: mm-hmm, and
1: mm-hmm. Uh, with Seth, your first deal was a six-unit apartment building?
0: Correct, yes. Uh, we, we found it through the We Buy House of Signs. We put on telephone poles there, which used to work really well. And uh, so it was a good deal. We got it for about 220000 We put about 50000 into it, and uh, then it appraised for about 450000 wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, we got it all leased up, and all, you know, the units from the cash flow, and then... Um, we refinanced our money back out. So to praise for 450, we're into it for about 300,000. So we pulled our investment back out, got back our initial capital, raised some more capital from our network and went on to buy a 25 unit. Um, now we bought this 25 unit in Paulsboro, New Jersey, right around the uh, corner from here, about 20 minutes into South Jersey from here. So, uh, Paulsboro, New Jersey, nice little blue collar town, you know, they're putting a port in there, you know, and it's really a nice uh, working class town. We we uh, bought the property though from the town inspectors. So oh. you know it was uh, he. We got it for a good price. You know that's our job is to buy the properties at a good price so our investors make good mm-hmm. returns. And basically he was pretty disgruntled after the whole thing because he felt like we got a really good price on his property, but we did, and that's kind of how the only you know, listen right. you agreed to the contract. So at the end of the day we bought the property and he was disgruntled. So he uh, ended up, a like, tenant put a TV on the corner. I remember for a few days and you know we're about 90 minutes away from the property so we didn't catch it and he fined us for eleven thousand dollars yep it's just one example of how terrible he was to us just every step of the way whatever he could fine us for he would and you know you can't always control what your tenants are doing or where they're putting their garbage and you could send them letters and rules and things but tenants make mistakes and they put their tvs in the corner on the wrong week and whatever you know and the town really should work with you a little more um and uh, this gentleman decided not to, and so we realized then that you know if the town inspectors has a indebted out for you, then you know you really. Uh... So we sold it for a nice profit. Um, our investors made double digit returns, and we focused on real estate up here in North Jersey, where we can control it a little better. And um, in bigger cities, you're not really going to deal with that necessarily mm-hmm, either.
1: Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Well, you know, Aaron, I will say that you are operating in one of the most competitive, highly taxed, highly regulated parts of the country and there are a lot of small investors who have money who live in those areas who aren't investing in their backyard they're they're investing in north carolina they're investing um if they're doing commercial you know real estate investing Mm -hmm. um they're investing in texas yeah uh north carolina atlanta Mm -hmm. so tell us about your you, you know you and seth have gone all in on north jersey tell us what your criteria is Geographically and demographically, what do you guys look for when you're looking at a market?
0: Well, we look for you know Im- improving home values. We look for the city being bullish on development and allowing development and having a good master plan for the city. You know, like we saw happen in Jersey City and and now d- downtown Newark. You know, um, I grew up in these areas. I grew up in Millington, New Jersey, and I, I saw the changes happen in Hoboken as a young boy. And, uh, you know, that and I saw it happen in Jersey City as a teenager and in my 20s. And I saw it happen in in Newark through my 20s as well. It's it's crazy. You know, when a city is set on on creating a nice downtown area and improving the living conditions of people in the area and just improving the city overall, getting rid of corrupt politicians and focusing on actually moving things forward um, and also at the same time, you know, not being afraid to kind of. Have new types of real estate come in? I, I think what I see in Patterson now is a lot of Class A real estate coming in, and and that market doesn't even exist in Patterson right now. If you want a nice, you know, twenty two hundred dollar a month new construction Class A apartment in a high rise in Patterson, you know, which by the way you can get into the city in less than about in about forty five minutes, you know, from Patterson. Um the New York City, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I say this right, way. right. Um, you know, then the, you you really don't have an option in, in Patterson. You know, Newark now you do have some Class A real estate that's coming in. Shaq just finished that big building. That's really cool, right? And now there's a bunch of other developments going on, too many to name in downtown Newark and, and Jersey City, you miss the boat really. You know, that that development you know, now when you drive to New York City, you can't tell the difference between the New York City skyline and the Jersey City skyline. If you're far enough away, it all looks the same. There's a river in between, but it really, it all looks the same now. And, you know, I, I saw that happening in Jersey City 20 years ago. You don't have to be a genius to see the cranes in the air and recognize these uh, markets that are being created and then what follows. You know, I mean, New York City, I have to be careful how much I pump up New York City here in Philadelphia, but it's a very (laughs) large metropolitan area and people will always need to commute and live around New York City. Right, right. If they don't, then there's something bigger going on in the world than uh, than we need to. Then we're really in trouble, right? Yeah, we're really in trouble. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm.
1: So yeah, so Patterson, New Jersey, you're currently very bullish on it but I mean I'll be honest you know Patterson historically hasn't had a good reputation I grew mm-hmm. up in New Jersey mm-hmm. and even now when you do a Google, a Google search and just simply type in Patterson New Jersey Google offers up a series of frequently asked questions people are typing into mm-hmm. Google about Patterson that say uh, is Patterson New Jersey a safe place to live how bad is Patterson New Jersey <laughs> what is the crime rate in Patterson so what do you say I mean is it, is it a situation where it's on the cusp of taking off Or is it still an area that has a couple of pockets that are showing economic growth, but the rest of the area is still kind of distressed?
0: I mean, yeah, I'd say both of those assumptions are pretty accurate right now. The city is on the verge of taking off. There's about 15 high end Class A real estate developments taking place right now. The cranes are in the air, the approvals are completed. You know, they just have to build the stuff and rent it out. So, um, at this point, a lot of it's already been completed as well. And the units are getting leased up lightning fast, you know, so the demand is there, the developers are getting the prices they thought they would get for this class A real estate and they're building, they're creating this market. So, um, are there, you know, is there high crime rates in Patterson? Absolutely. Are the, the, are the schools, you know, a mess? Yes. The schools definitely need improvement in Patterson. And, you know, the same thing with you look at Jersey City. People don't send their kids a lot. If you live in a fancy class A real estate in Jersey City, you probably pay for private school for your kids, you know, and you probably work in the city and make a quarter million dollars and that's just the cost of, uh, you know, living in that area. Same with Hoboken even, you know, I lived in Hoboken for years and it is crazy the public schools there, you know, really haven't caught up with the level of of wealth uh, that is moved into the area, you know? So and you see that happen in, in areas. And so you look at the schools and I know, you know, people always preach school, school, schools for areas and I get that, but let's just look at the pure logistics of North Jersey, right? If you uh, want to be near, New York City, which some have called the greatest city on, in the world, okay, some, not me, okay, <laughs> okay. But there's a rumor going around, right, okay, right. that's a good city, okay, <laughs> so a lot of people want to live around there, right, and they and they need to live around there, so um, where are you going to live? Okay, you're going to go to Hoboken, you're going to pay 20 eight hundred dollars for a two-bedroom well i can't afford that okay i'll go to jersey city i'll pay 2300 i can't afford that all right i'll go to downtown uh, uh, newark i'll pay you know 1900 well that's still super steep all right do you want uh, why don't you come to my building you could get on a bus and be in manhattan in 40 minutes i'll give you stainless steel appliances hardwood floors a parking spot and a nice loft style two-bedroom for how about 1450 you know and the area's nice. You feel safe. You know, there's a park down the street where they're developing a, a big fancy class A development, you know, and, and it's going to have stores and coffee shops and little places for you to walk your dog and take your spouse out to dinner. And that, that's what people want. And, and that's what's happening in that area. Mm-hmm. And, and um, so I can underprice the fancy class A development coming in down the street. I can underprice the guy in downtown Newark or Jersey City or Hoboken. And I can give the people a product that's really nice and clean and enjoyable and safe for a fraction of the price you're going to pay elsewhere. And you can still commute into the city in 45 minutes and and make that money that you make in the city.
1: Right, right. And so you are um, acquiring small apartment buildings, like what, 25-unit apartment buildings, 25 to 50-unit? Correct. And um, are you doing any new construction, ground-up new construction?
0: No, we are in talks with a very big developer in uh, North Jersey about – kind of finding a 30 to 50 unit that we can add another 30 to 50 on top of. That's a nice strategy because then you have the cash flow coming in from the existing apartment building while you're developing on top of that or next to that. And, um, you know, if you work with the right developers, uh, you can really do quite well with a scenario like that. And that's what we're looking for next. But that will probably be more like 21, 22.
1: Okay. Okay. So is it true that you and your partner, um, you and Steph, analyze roughly 400 deals a month?
0: between our commercial and residential yeah yeah because we just uh, we do three different sheriff sale auctions in uh each week so that's a lot of property analysis and we have staff to help you know it's not like we're sitting there going through 400 spreadsheets in a week but um you know but it's definitely it's a lot and and there's different levels of due diligence right we'll look at a property and quickly move on to the next one you know so um but yeah at the end of the day you want a funnel of like 400 opportunities and those come from brokers and wholesalers and mls and all direct mail marketing and online marketing and billboards so you know, it's uh, it's all different sources.
1: But you guys spend a pretty penny on marketing.
0: Uh, yes, sometimes up to over 100000 a year on, on marketing. Wow, yeah. mm-hmm. wow.
1: Mm-hmm. So with all that marketing activity, roughly how many apartment acquisitions are you guys doing um, a, a year?
0: We try to do one a quarter. Um, so last year we achieved um, two uh, syndications, and this year we have one set to close in a couple weeks, and then another one set to close in April. So, um, we are getting up to that one a quarter goal, but you know quality over quantity too. I'm not just gonna buy something because right, the right. quarter's coming and doing it. you know
1: no, no, that's mm-hmm. that's pretty good. that's mm-hmm. pretty good. So, let's talk more about your your strategy. You look for apartment buildings that are value add opportunities, and within the value add segment, i mean that could mean many many things. It could mean getting the expenses you know under control, it could mean raising the rents um it could mean you know adding more amenities or services that the prior landlord never even thought of, such Mm as uh, storage or um, charging for parking Mm -hmm. or a pet rent or (laughs) whatever like that, stuff like that. So can you talk about um, the, the strategy that you use with value add and how your experience has been doing that?
0: Sure. So we look for mismanaged apartment buildings, right? We really aren't the guys that come in and do a ton of development or construction because the more construction you do in this business, the more risks you run and mm-hmm. the more chances of things going awry and costs going up and right. not making a profit. So we just focus on lipstick on a pig, as they call it, mismanaged apartment buildings, you know, freshen up the lobbies, maybe some new appliances, okay. you know, freshen up the. So this is needs. like
1: the mom and pop. Um, owner who's owned it when nixon nixon was president sure you can get- <laughs> and he's basically the owner handyman i mean he does everything and he thinks yeah yeah right, they're, he's burned out
0: they're 75 years old right. their knees don't work for the steps anymore and they never figured out you can call a plumber you know so um yeah that's exactly what the scenarios are for a lot of the buildings we buy that's exactly the scenario for an 11 unit we're buying right now literally exactly the scenario and the guy has like three other buildings too we'll probably try to buy from him so that's once you perform for a landlord. Generally, these landlords have multiple other buildings that I like. This guy, I know this, you know, because when we do business with people, they really. St- what we learned from our experience in Paulsboro there is the people have to like you, whether they're on the other side of the negotiating table or not. Um, everyone has to like you, you know, the, from the sellers to the investors to the tenants. Our tenants have to like us. They want to. Who wants to give money to someone they don't like? You know, you don't wanna, right. You know, you want to like your landlord, Lena, our property manager. She's very likable. You know, to our. Tenants, they're friends. She gives them like life advice. You know, it's really cool if they want it. <laughs> okay, okay, right, <laughs> right, right. You know, but yeah, at the end of the day, so. Uh, but yeah, know.
1: that's really important because I think, particularly with these apartment b- buildings that have been neglected, right, and have been owned by the same owner for decades,
0: mm-hmm.
1: when the residents find out it's under new ownership, they're like, "Oh boy, mm-hmm. is it going to get worse?"
0: Right. I mean, a lot of them are (laughs) happy, you know, because like they because we come in very professionally. We have a welcome package and we explain to them, hey, you know, new sheriff in town. You do have to pay your rent on time. But, you know, when things break, we're going to fix them like right away. You know, and the smell in the lobby is gone, you know, and, (laughs) you know, the guy who's like blasting his music and selling drugs, he's gone, too. You know, so we're going to clean up this place. You know, we're going to figure out how to make it a family friendly environment. And, you know, you're going to be happy to live here. And, you know, rent's going to go up a little bit too, but you're going to be happy to pay the higher rent because you're getting a better environment and a better product, you know? So, um, yeah, absolutely. You know, we have two customers at the end of the day, our tenants and our investors, and they both have to be equally happy. A, a happy tenant equals a happy investor. Right,
1: right. You know? mm-hmm. So one of the things I've heard you talk about um, is that you look for a building where the market rent is at, what at least 10% below what they could get. In the open market?
0: Yes, that's our goal, generally 10% below. And uh, sometimes we find buildings de- up to 30% below market value. Wow. Yes, yeah, so that's a hot, hard climb. You know, Usually there's a little more money you have to put into those buildings, and it's a longer turnaround period. But- so
1: what's that mm-hmm. scenario? Is that a scenario where the the owner, the landlord, has had his head in the sand mm-hmm. and just, just a, a ton of deferred maintenance? And so he's mm-hmm. like, ah, I better not raise the rent because mm-hmm. so much needs to be fixed in the building? Or is it an issue of somebody who's trapped in the past and they don't realize that – they could get it, it's that ge- higher rent.
0: It's generally the first one. When okay. you go and you say, hey, hey, uh, Mr. Tenant, you know, the rent's, uh, the lease is up now. It's been a year, and there's a 5% increase in your lease. So we manage their expectations. They know it's coming. Um, but w- when you go for that 5% increase, they say, fine, I'll pay you 70 bucks more a month, but I need this fixed. And this piece of floor is coming loose. And I don't like the color of my bathroom. and you know that my dishwasher makes a noise, so you have to work with them and give them the right product so they feel comfortable and happy, paying a little bit more money for it. And if you're not a good landlord, also known as a slumlord, uh, then you don't fix those things. You just say to the tenant, "Okay, we'll just keep the rent where it is, and I'm not going to fix anything." And normally the tenants are like, "No, please give me a new dishwasher, and I'll pay you seventy bucks more. Like that's what I want." And that's what we give tenants is a good landlord, but if you're a bad landlord, like many of the landlords you buy from, then um you know you're not giving your tenants what they want, and they're not paying you more money and your building suffers so much you know when I give the uh, tenant a new dishwasher, not only do I have a brand new appliance in that unit now, and that increases the value of my building by a little bit, but it also um the rent goes up by seventy dollars a month. Now, if I have uh, a building valued at a 5% cap rate, let's say, and the rent goes up by $70 a month, um, that you know, literally increases the value of my building by thousands of dollars, an exponential increase, okay? So um, it's, it's just uh, you know, when you evaluate commercial real estate, it's based on the net operating income divided into the cap rate. So for every dollar you increase the net operating income, you increase the value mm-hmm. of the building exponentially, you know, it's not $1 in rent equals $1 increased value. It's exponential. It could be $2 in increased value. So, you know, not putting in that new dishwasher might have cost me 500 bucks, but it made me thousands of dollars in, in property value based on the higher cash flow of the building now. Because keep in mind also, if you raise the rent $70, I'm already covering all my costs. So, every dollar that's $70 is straight net profit because mm-hmm. all my costs are covered already. Um so you know right there you increase the value you're building you make the tenant happy happy tenant pays rent right on time they live there longer they don't They punch, give referrals. They give referrals they don't put holes in the wall you know so yes though and and that they makes They stay longer. Stay longer right and the, yeah fewer
1: turnarounds make make ready. yeah
0: Exactly so it all goes in, in hand in hand.
1: Yep yep. So the, you know, the boogeyman looming in this scenario is rent control, mm. and that's something that uh, a lot of people uh, around the country don't have to deal with, but it is built into the DNA of the New York City metro area real estate mm-hmm. rental market. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about – first, uh, describe for the listeners what rent control actually is and how you navigate around that?
0: Sure. Rent control is confusing. It's a limit on how much you can increase the rent. There's different rules for every ordinance. You know, In Passaic, which is right next to Patterson, there's completely different rules for rent control and, and so on. So um, in Patterson, for example, the rent control is limited to 5% or 3.5% for uh, veterans or disabled individuals. However, rent control does not apply to Section 8. So if a cash-paying tenant's paying 850 and decides to amicably move out, say through a cash for keys or whatever the scenario is. They just decide to move out. You can uh, spruce up that unit and rent it for 1450 to a Section 8 tenant. So, just knowing that little loophole in the Patterson rent control may allow you to find a building that. It's filled with a bunch of cash-paying tenants that are paying 30% below market value, kind of ready to move out a lot of them or you know, at least looking to kind of work out a move-out deal um, where you can pay them money to move out. and It's an amicable scenario, so they have money to move into a building they, they want to live in, and that frees up the unit so we can improve it to the quality we need it to be and then rent it out for fair market value. Now, normally, you wouldn't be able to rent, it, like, in New York City, for example, if you put 10000 bucks in a unit, you can't even, like, increase the rent now. There's, like, rent freezes on certain buildings. So even if you put money into a unit, you can't increase the rent. But in New Jersey, the rent control laws are, are different, and they vary, and many of them are far more lenient. For example, that Section 8 loophole that I just explained there. So and you go to Passaic, you know, there's different rules over there. If someone moves in before 2013, you know, rent control like doesn't apply to, you know, so there's like all these little rules and regulations and you just have to understand them. And, you know, a lot of buildings we look at don't work because of rent control. um You know, Union City is a freeze on rent raises right now, you know, so that's just going to devastate that uh, rental uh, market as far as the apartment building sales. And we're going to stay clear of that area, you know, and Jersey City has pretty strict rent control as well. And, um, you know, so we do look for areas now. Patterson is bullish on development, so therefore the five percent rent increase is fine with us. You know, most tenants aren't going to be too happy with anything more than a five percent. You know, if you think you can just come in, be like, "Hey, your rent's going up twenty five percent," you know, right. yeah, even if they, <laughs> that's not realistic. So, you know, at the end of the day, five percent rent control is kind of okay with us because that's kind of where the sweet spot is anyway for tenants. It's known as a nuisance raise. Tenants aren't going to move out over that. But it is going to allow you to really improve the value you're building over time.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So typically, with the the properties that you're buying, um, they're distressed in some way, whether it's a physical distress mm-hmm. or uh, paper, you know, pr- property management distress, mm-hmm. that haven't been managed properly. Typically, what is your strategy? I know each deal is is different, but typically, what is your strategy when you acquire one of these properties, particularly if it is is are, are the is the vacancy usually? is it usually like half vacant no or? we
0: we r- rarely buy very vacant building usually they're occupied okay um but the rents are just far below market value and the building is uh decaying in, in one way or another. okay yeah i mean we always have a strategy we know which tenants we're going to offer a cash to keys for okay. and which aren't and you know it's a delicate process you you know you have to understand that um there's rules and regulations that we have to work by and and it's a negotiation process, you know, with the tenant. We start around a uh, Because a lot of these
1: are sometimes a month-to-month leases. Sure. I mean, they don't really have a lease.
0: They don't have a lease; they're month-to-month. But there's still, even if your lease is month-to-month, you still are protected, you know, as a tenant. I can't just be like, "Hey, I need to raise the rent, so I need you to move out," you know. Even if it's month-to-month, I still can't do that, you know. And uh, so you have to be careful there, and you have to respect the tenants and and hear what they're looking for, you know. And some of them saying, "Listen, if you." You know, just fix this, this, and this. Uh, we can agree to a certain rent increase. You know, or other tenants do want to move out, and and that is our goal to offer them a the cash for keys that you know, we can agree to. And sometimes they're getting three or four thousand dollars, you know, to move out of a, of a unit they're paying eight fifty a month for or something. So that's like getting you know half a year's uh, rent, you know, uh, for your next unit or whatnot. And um, they're tired of living there, and the unit's kind of you know needs to be redone. So there's all different types of scenarios there, and you just have to make sure you do work with the tenants, play by the rules, be respectful of everyone. And you know a lot of times over time, you just have tenants that aren't used to paying the rent on time or the last tenant landlord let them skip a month, and that's pretty common. And those tenants kind of tend to kind of weed themselves out through time as well. You know?
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you also look for opportunities to add value to the property through adding some sort of amenities, right? Such as like the self-storage?
0: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we always improve the common areas and the exterior of the buildings and then the units as they become vacant. And then also we put storage in the basement if we can. We uh, try to figure out different ways. If it doesn't have laundry, we put laundry in the basement also. Or, uh, you know, parking, we try to figure out more ways to to build that out. Um, But yeah, there's a bunch of different ways to increase the forms of income on your building. You know, some strategies uh, we've done in the past are even like... Mm -hmm you know, move-in fees over security deposits. You know, like if you um, collect a month and a half security deposit from every tenant, that's great, but that just sits on your balance sheet as an asset. It's not your money. That's your tenant's money, so you can't touch it. Now, let's say instead of collecting a $1,500 security deposit from each tenant, I charged a 70, $750 security deposit, and I charged a $750 move-in fee. So to the tenant, they're paying the same amount, but the difference to me is I get to keep half of it, and the other half may or may not keep depending on how the lease ends with the tenant you know and um but uh you know at the end of the day that allows you to get access to a ton of cash you normally wouldn't have access to and that maybe is money you put back into the building or you can disperse to investors or whatnot you know Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so folks today we're talking with Aaron Fragnito of People's Capital Group an apartment investing company and property management company based in New Jersey so, Aaron, I, I know, um, you know what they call you in the business is a deal sponsor. You put these apartment deals together with Seth. You go out, you raise capital from a group of investors, passive investors. And I know today you have a, a, a dedicated core group of, of folks that you've done several deals with. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about how you've built that level of rapport and trust with your investors? And I also want to uh, you know, pick your brain on what should passive investors look for in a deal sponsor? because it could be potentially intimidating for somebody to do that first deal as a passage.
0: Sure. Well, there's so many sponsors out there now yeah. and there's big guys and small guys and we're definitely on the smaller side. But what sets us apart from other syndicators is that we control our assets 100%. We own our management company. It's called PCG Property Management. So we manage all of our properties in-house. And that does mean we have to buy within about an hour of our office in Berkeley Heights. But that's fine because we know these markets like the back of our hands. So another thing is location, location, location. I've been investing in these markets for 10 years in North Jersey. And, you know, taking our hits as home flippers, we have flipped over 50 houses, we wholesaled over 100 pieces of real estate from the auctions, we've uh, bought and sold multifamily buildings there for years. So we know those markets super well and those ordinances, and we have the management company in house, so we control our assets 100%. Um, you know, because of that, we have a good track record. You know, we've always been able to hit above the projections on our apartment buildings. So, whatever we project, we've always hit higher than that on them. And that track record allows us to build a nice pool of about thirty investors over the last ten years, and and that's great. And that's where we get you know a lot of our capital from. But we really this last year, uh, twenty nineteen, actually, I really focused on not. Going back to those uh, those pools of investors, and now uh, we're buying a uh, 25 unit, for example, and we're raising about 1.2 million. We have about 16 investors lined up uh, right now. Only about four or five of them are current, you know, p- past investors, right? I'm, I'm I'm making an effort to really just bring this out to all new investors because that's how you, you build your uh, portfolio. But you know, as an operator, you have to have a good track record. You have to know how to solve problems in business. You know, Seth and I have. Flipped a lot of houses. We've done crazy construction. You know, we've realized our strengths and weaknesses, and our strengths are more in management. So, a lot of these syndicators that are going out of state and just relying on outside management companies and realtors to you know, whatever the scenario is, you know, I, I I don't know if that's always a great strategy or a great person to invest in. They they may have done well on a few buildings out of state. They may find opportunities in South Carolina or Atlanta or Buffalo or Texas. And I get it. There's you know, areas where people are earning more than the housing costs, and the housing costs have room to grow, and these areas are going to boom. And they're right, those areas probably are going to boom. You know, I get it. And But we buy in areas here where you can see your money go to work in these local inner city areas. You know, Patterson is a a city with troubles, with challenges. You know, there is high crime. And by buying these buildings and improving them and just making a safer neighborhood to live, you know, building by building, I, I do see the tangible effects of my money, you know, going into these local areas. And quite frankly, I have more of a connection to Patterson than I do Dallas. You know, I've never been to Dallas, I think, except for a layover on a Flight, okay. I, you know, I'm not really trying to improve Dallas. I want to improve Jersey, you know. Right, right. <laughs> so we're born and raised, baby, you know. Right, so right. that's that's what it's all about. And people see that and they like that. And it is hard to navigate the rent control and the taxes and finding a deal is the, the hardest part of our job, hands down. Usually, the money comes in because there is a lot of wealth in this area. Um, but you know, finding a good deal is, is really, really hard. And once we do, our investors enjoy the, the benefits of it. But um, you know, an operator has to have a good track record. Um, I would say a, a breath of experience is good too. Like you know, a guy who's flipped a bunch of houses and done this and been a realtor and made money and lost money and you know is good. If you're like, hey, you know, I'm brand new to real estate and I'm gonna buy a 70 unit, you know, in in, in Florida with a bunch of my friends' money. Like, all right, fine, that might work like for now. But like, man, if your management company pans out to be liars or, or thieves, like I've had a management company meet tenants the property collect the first month's rent security deposit uh, and then go poof and then go and then meet another tenant at the same unit two hours later collect the money same and in the same unit another tenant all day meet like three different tenants there collect the money say yeah i'll give you the keys tomorrow run off with the money right that was the second management company we hired around 2013 or so with that 25 unit down in south jersey And, you know, before that, we had hired a big, reputable nationwide management company. They promised us the world, 95% occupancy. We were stuck at 75. And they were like, well, you know, it's South Jersey. What do you expect? You know, you not to completely mislead us. So then we went to a small company and they stole a bunch of money from us. And we had to take them to court and we actually won. And at that point, we decided, you know, if we switch to a third management company, this is about eight years ago or so, you know, our tenants are going to lose faith in us and your tenants lose faith in you, then they're just not going to pay their rent, and if they don't pay their rent, the building goes downhill quickly. So, we realized we need to, you know, want something done right. Sometimes you got to do it yourself. So, we developed our own management company around 2013, and there were a lot of growing pains with that. Um, but you know, we have a great system now. We work with Appfolio. We have Lena who does our, our properties. We just sold about 30 doors, so we're down about 75 right now, but we're buying about 36 more. So. We have the resources and the infrastructure to take on more real estate and manage it to a T, which is the name of the game. You
1: know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, with your passive investors, do you, are they truly passive, or are, are they people that, depending on the deal, want to roll up their sleeves and you know? get in get in the mix yeah no
0: they're 100% passive okay. um no need to roll up the sleeves um they can keep their sleeves down it's perfectly fine you know and uh but we we've had scenarios joint ventures before so syndication is when investors have a non voting share which is technically security. I'm, I'm selling them and there's little rules and regulations for that. Now a joint venture is when investors have the option to roll up their sleeves and, and get in there and they have a voting right. Now we've done joint ventures before. The problem with that was you have a lot of cooks in the kitchen and when everyone wants something else painted, you know, the, the lobby never gets painted, right? If everyone has a pick of the color of the lobby, what happens is the lobby never gets painted. And then no one wants to live in your building because you never painted the lobby. So it just completely works backwards. So it's better for investors to let us do our job properly and let them enjoy the benefits of, of the cash flow. Now, we give very detailed monthly updates. We give very detailed financials every quarter. Um, we're completely transparent. They can come into our office and go through the books, da-da-da. Um, you know, and what we have found in the past, though, is when you give certain investors voting rights, they will use that against you. And we've actually experienced that and fortunately had some uh, investors you know, get to the refinance table, right? Because we buy, renovate, mm-hmm. and refinance. So the investors can split up a big lump sum of cash. And to do that, you have to renovate a building a certain way and lease it out a certain way. You know, If you're going to sell the building, then you kind of do your repositioning a different way. But we structure it to buy, renovate, and refinance out. So we prepped a bunch of buildings ready for refinance. And the investors said, no, I'm not going to cooperate. I want more equity. I want more points on my money. I want this and that. So you know, and, and we were in a tough spot. So we realized, well, you know, we could redo the buildings so we could sell them all and then hope he cooperates with that, or we could redo, you know, or we could try to fight this and, and deal so it was a very challenging scenario and we realized you know we didn't have the upper hand there. We were taken advantage of once again, and um so because of that we developed our syndication so that we are the only cooks in the kitchen and that's the way you want it you know you don't cut your own hair you know when you when you're sick you go to a doctor you know let the professionals do what the professionals do and that's just a better system overall
1: so with your so with your syndication deals uh, the exit strategy is primarily a refinance or is it going to be like a 5 year hold and then depending on what the market's like, plan to sell. I mean, typically, what, what, is it, what does it say in the operating agreement? Yep,
0: yeah, it's all refinanced. So now our strategy is to always refinance. So we did sell the 25-unit down South Jersey there because it was a challenge to manage and everything. But now we do refinance the property, and that's just such a better tax strategy. Now, the investors have the option to exit the investment at each refinance. So we buy a building for a good price, we improve the income of it, and then we refinance about three to four years into the uh, hold. At that point, the investors get a big lump sum of cash, right? When you refinance, you pay off your old mortgage, you get a new mortgage, we get a 70% loan-to-value. We don't go higher than that, so it's a safe mortgage amount that our tenants will pay down through the years, and the building continues to cash flow, but you get a lump sum of cash, and that cash is considered debt. So if you don't exit the LLC, which the investors have the option to do then, but if they stay invested long-term, the tax benefits are phenomenal, and our strategy is eventually to do a 1031 tax deference sell the building, take all the monies from the sale, put it to a third party, execute on a bigger purchase of a bigger property in a certain amount of time. And now you've traded from a smaller apartment building, say a 25 unit into a 50 unit, you know, and we plan to do that down the road. So it's a refinance around year four refinance around year nine to 10. And then, you know, the investors have the option to exit at each of those refinances, all that while they're collecting cash flow quarterly, tax benefits at the end of the year, and then big lump sum upon the refi. But then, you know, year 15, we say, all right, guys, we're going for the 1031 tax deferrance. We're going to trade into a bigger building. So now, you know, your initial investment, you make it back in the first eight to nine years, and then once we trade into a bigger building, you can just be phenomenal where your wealth can grow to beyond that. Right, right.
1: Mm -hmm. That's fabulous. Mm -hmm. So, Aaron, you know, what? there are lots of people that are, transitioning or have recently transitioned from the single family into the multifamily space or they aspire to Mm -hmm. um, what are what advice would you give somebody who wants to make that that transition and what are some of the common mistakes that you you've seen some of the newbies make
0: well, I think there are a lot of gurus out there telling you to get into hundred unit buildings to start. Like, if you're really an operator and you want to hands on, start by multifamily. Start with a two or a three or a six unit. You know, I do find six units are kind of a good sweet spot where you're not shelling, you know shelling out a ton of cash, but you can also get decent cash flow. Um, it's very hard to actually cash flow on a two family or a three family because if your boiler breaks on a two family, it's five thousand dollars to fix it. Well, you're building you know, a two family, you might be making two hundred dollars a month in positive cash flow at the end of the day. So, you know, if your five thousand dollar boiler goes, then at that point, that's your your net profit for two and a half years, three, four years, you know? So um at that point, you know, you, you're just getting nailed on those big renovations. So on a twenty five unit, if your boiler breaks, it's much easier to pay for. The building makes forty thousand dollars a month in cash flow. So you know a five thousand dollar cost is easily covered. So it's just bigger buildings are more forgiving, and that's why we structure a syndication where we use our years of experience and investors come in with this little thirty thousand dollars to invest. So, you know that's a great way to get started. So there's two ways, right? You can do the hands on where you you, t- you buy a property, you maybe you hire a management company or you manage it yourself, and you're going to learn a lot doing either one of those. You know, because if you think you can just hire a management company and you know wait for the checks to roll in, you're unfortunately mistaken management companies tend to just kind of do the bare minimum. So, you know, you'll figure that out along the way. But um basically, you know, you can do it that way. Anyone can go buy a two family or a three family. You call up a realtor, you maybe you get a mortgage, which by the way, you'd probably have to personally guarantee, you know, and a personal guarantee of a mortgage means you can't get out of it, whether you file bankruptcy or, or, or go to foreclosure or you close the LLC, you still personally owe that debt. And so Seth and I, we will personally guarantee the mortgage, like for this uh, $3 million building we're buying, we're going to personally guarantee about a $2 million loan and our investors don't have to. You know, Normally, if they were to buy a $3 million building, they'd have to personally guarantee a $2 million loan. So we do that for our investors so they don't have to. You know, so getting into a syndicate like that where you're just kind of learning from guys that are doing it, that's another way to do it. So, we also have something called the Learn and Earn where we'll give you our spreadsheets and our contracts we use to analyze the buildings and buy the buildings and all these documents in editable form. So, you can use them to analyze your own buildings and everything like that. But if you're investing with us, we give you all these documents in editable form. And then, you know, you, know, you earn a nice cash flow and you get your returns and you learn from my monthly updates, which are very in depth. They're not like, you know, 101 mm-hmm. updates. They're like in-depth real estate updates. So uh, people learn a lot from my updates and they like to learn and earn. And that's a good way to kind of safely invest, mm-hmm. earn some returns, get all the docs, learn about it as you go See the guys, see the pros kind of do it who have been doing it for years and then maybe you know exit the investment when you're when you when you can around the four year mark get that money back maybe go with and do your own building if you want mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. that's where your passion
1: right, is right right so with with your investors what is the what's the minimum investment that you um you
0: seek so we make it easy to get invested with us of 3000 uh, 30000 uh, dollars so that's you know a nice small spot to start and we work with investors that have over a million dollars with us
1: and people can use their self directed IRAs
0: Yep, about a third of our investors self direct their IRA. I teach a webinar about it every single month. We have tons of information on it on our, our uh, website, there, our YouTube channel. And uh, yeah, so it's a really great way to, you know, you can work with an IRA custodian. You can take your IRA from wherever it is now, move it into that custodian, then move it into a passive investment with people's capital group. And it's not a way you can pull early on your IRA, but it is a way to build it much faster. Um, You know, we can build those IRAs more around double digit returns, uh, more sustainable long term than an index fund, which has had a good run for a number of years. We don't really know where that, you know, those general index funds are going next. So we do find it's more sustainable and it's a long term investment with us. Mm -hmm, You know, mm -hmm. another reason we buy up in this North Jersey market is because long term um, we're very, you know, confident. You know, we, we don't have crazy projections like all of our projections assume the market stands still. Assumes Patterson never takes off. Assumes the market kind of just doesn't. Status quo, right? Status quo. Now the market's actually growing at a five to six percent rate, but we don't assume that. We assume like a two percent rate. So we're very, very conservative there. But you know, if the market does take off a little bit, our investors would do phenomenally better than we project uh, through time. Um, so you know, it just a lot of investors like us long term, and because of that, you know, they, they, the IRAs are a good fit.
1: Mm-hmm. So Aaron, what's your dream real estate project? What, what would be the the ideal scenario?
0: Well, I, you know, I, I do love uh, Bigger is Better. You okay. know, I got to say, I started with the small singles and twos and, you know, kind of getting uh, my feet wet with small real estate. And, you know, as, as, a, as a budding entrepreneur, I, I would love to get into some skyscrapers one day, you know? I mean, we're in talks, like I said, with a very, uh, very powerful development company that's done a lot of stuff in Jersey and Right now, we're just trying to find the right opportunity and, and develop the right roles within that company and, and them, their company work with ours, and you know something like that over time, I think will allow us to get to the next level. We want to get to sixty-five million over the next five years, which is very attainable through our network of investors and, and uh, all the seminars and webinars we do and, and our different networks to bring in deals. So I think naturally we'll get up to about sixty-five million over the next five years. But then we're also looking at starting more of a branch that kind of works with institutionalized investors and hedge funds and family offices, which is uh, how you get the money together to do like a two hundred million development. You know, right? So that, right. Maybe one day we'll we'll get there.
1: Well, that's great. That's great. Mm-hmm. So, Aaron, for folks that want to uh, contact you and follow up and get more information, how can they find you?
0: Our website is peoplescapitalgroup.com. dot com. And uh, on peoplescapitalgroup.com, we have tons of information, uh, webinars, information there. And uh, we can, uh, you can sign up there to qualify for an upcoming investment. So we do try to bring a new opportunity to our investors every quarter, but there's no guarantee we can find a building next quarter. So we actually have a building right now that we just put out to investors. And if they go to peoplescapitalgroup.com and put their information in, uh, we will reach out to them and send them a qualification form to qualify for the next upcoming investment opportunity. And we also have events at our office in Berkeley Heights. So I know we're in Philly here, but if anyone's ever up in the North Jersey area, central North Jersey area, we do events four times a month in Berkeley Heights, New Jersey. So they can check out our meetup group. Uh, It's called New Jersey Real Estate Network on meetup.com. We have over uh, about 3,500 members there. And we do webinars and seminars there. So that's on meetup.com, New Jersey Real Estate Network.
1: Mm -hmm. Great. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for for coming in. I really, really appreciate it. I enjoyed talking to you today. And so, folks, we've reached the end of another episode. Remember to subscribe to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show podcast and check out some past interviews on Apple, Google, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.